Good morning, everyone, and welcome. It's good to see you all today, some new and old faces, but um, yeah, lovely to be here in any case. My name is Drew, as you've heard, and I am very privileged to be able to serve here at New Life Community Church. We are continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark and unpacking this punchy gospel, which doesn't waste any time getting into the important details. So we've already touched on the fact that much of the target audience for this gospel consisted of Greek and Roman people, also known as Gentiles, and we get a good description of Jewish traditions as a result, because Mark is trying to help us understand the way the Jewish people are. Mark shows Jesus in a much more mysterious way than the other gospels. We notice this through how Jesus keeps his identity as the Messiah a secret which is something we'll explore a part of as we progress through this passage. Mark saw it as important that we understand what Jesus' disciples didn't and learn from them. Today we are looking at a very famous part of scripture. Jesus feeds a multitude of people with a minute supply. I'd like to title this talk today, Jesus Our Provider. There are a few areas I want to touch on this morning because of their relevance in our lives. But instead of listing them, I'm just going to follow the passage and explore the events in the order they appear. I've spent a lot of time listening to Mark since we started the series using Spotify and a group of artists on there which come under the name Streetlights. For anyone who possibly struggles to listen to scripture being read by a lonely voice with the ambient music that the Bible app plays, which I have nothing against, by the way, I encourage you, give them a try. They do a fantastic job of reading the scriptures and adding a good catchy beat in the background, which draws you in and helps hold your attention. At least it did for me anyway. So now, with the thought of a lonely voice reading scripture in mind, Let me take us through our passage this morning. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we will read from verses 1 to 10 as a start. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so it might look a bit different in your Bible. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. I'd like to set the scene here for us. A large crowd had gathered, 
numbering in the thousands, when Jesus had come to this area, which we believe was inland, but close to a lake. Verse 2 shows that they had been there for about three days in total. I think our best guess would be that when Jesus started moving toward the place where he was going to preach from, the people wouldn't have had time to put together a little packed lunch in preparation to go and see him. Perhaps I don't give them enough credit, and they were actually a lot more foresighted than I am. Three days, however, that's long enough for any sort of food someone might have brought to be finished and become a distant memory. These people had willingly stayed in that place for three whole days. We can only imagine how miraculous it would have been to spend time around Jesus as he performed miracles and taught with the great authority that only he had. Jesus could quite easily have moved on and left the people to return to their homes when he was finished there. After all, they were responsible for themselves. And if they hadn't brought the necessary provisions and had stayed out beyond their means, that wouldn't and shouldn't fall at his feet to resolve. If you've never pictured God as compassionate, considering even the seemingly meaningless situations in life, let's look more closely at this passage. Scripture says he had compassion. He considered that some had traveled far and that they were weary after a long period without food. Sometimes the book of Mark can be so to the point and portray Jesus in a bit of a mysterious light that we lose track of his character. There is no doubt that Jesus spoke searing words against the religious leaders of the time and did not tolerate wickedness. When you really study the text and isolate the interactions that Jesus had with the people he blessed, it reveals the tender heart of a loving God. Those that were willing to humble themselves and accept the gifts he offered went away richer than before. The disciples then pipe up and totally ruin a beautiful moment by forgetting who Jesus was and what he had done up to that point. How can we feed this many people in such a desolate place? As in, there are no shops or merchants nearby who we could just go and buy some bread and fish from. In the presence of anyone else, that's a pretty legitimate query to raise. However, by this time, it almost seems inexcusable that the disciples would ask such questions. We have heard over the course of this series on Mark about the miracles that Jesus performed. The disciples themselves had been commissioned by Jesus to cast out unclean spirits and had healed and seen people made well. These are some supernaturally spectacular things. On top of all of this, it wasn't the first time they're seeing a miracle of this sort. In chapter 6, Jesus feeds an even larger crowd than what they had at that point. So much so that they would collect 12 baskets of leftovers in total. So why then? Much like after the feeding of the 5,000, does it appear that the disciples were still hard-hearted, as scripture describes them? I believe one of the many reasons is evident in the next part we will look at. Jesus prayed over the loaves, giving thanks to God for them, and then the fish which he blessed. What a testament to gratefulness. Nothing in scripture is a mistake. 
which means that even in something as seemingly small as this, we must take note of it. Jesus wanted us to be thankful for our provision, which may not be bountiful at all times, but will be what we need for that moment. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's something incredibly important to God about a grateful heart. It allows us to draw closer to him, giving that praise to him regardless of the situation. The Bible also says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. As such, we can have grateful hearts because of this truth. This is where the disciples may have been lacking. They don't comprehend the miracles and what Jesus is trying to teach them from each encounter yet. After witnessing Jesus perform miracles so often, perhaps complacency had crept in. Scripture doesn't often mention them taking time to give praise to God for the incredible things they were seeing. I'm sure each of us can attest to the fact that having this attitude is a sure way to make you forget what God has provided for you in the past. In fact, I'd say this is how you develop a hardened heart. Let's take this as a reminder. Be thankful to God when we experience his provision. I bet it wouldn't surprise you to know that gratitude builds us up in our faith. Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We learn to enjoy our present when we have a heart of thankfulness. We're often filled with peace when we practice gratitude. And most importantly of all, God loves a thankful person. It facilitates and allows him to continue to work in their lives. I tell you what, when I give someone a gift or do someone a favor and they display gratitude, I'm really willing to give more because it's such a pleasing emotion to receive. Back to the passage. The food was then set before the crowd, and each person ate until they were satisfied. That sentence took me aback. It wasn't like the case of some of the pub lunches I've had in the past, which have left me feeling as though I've been slightly shortchanged and like I'll need to pull open a loaf of bread at home and get some extra carbs in me to fill the hole. (laughs) Consider that for a moment. This crowd of 4,000 people 4,000 or over 4,000 left that place filled and satisfied. And whether they knew it or not, it was both physically and spiritually true. Bread, which is mentioned several times in the passage, is very symbolic of the body of Christ. Jesus broke bread at the Last Supper and told the disciples that it was a symbol of how his body would be broken for their redemption. This sacrifice and its, heavenly, sorry, and its heavenly provision would eternally satisfy the just wrath of God. When we see this kind of compassion that Jesus displays, it is a physical reminder of a spiritual truth. Through the undeserved provision of Jesus, each of us can choose to partake and be eternally satisfied. 
Let's turn to John 6, 25 to 35 and see what Jesus said about bread. For context, this encounter occurred just after the miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000, which preceded the event we're in today with the passage. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, and what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. While we look at what Jesus spoke about regarding the bread of life, I want to draw our attention to a more somber note that I will pick up on once we've read some other passages. Let's continue in Mark 8 from verses 11 to 13. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat and went to the other side. Compare this with Matthew 16, verses 1 to 4, which is the only other place to recount this particular event. From it, we can develop a bit of a clearer understanding. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning... It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. The people whom Jesus had performed miracles for and their so-called religious leaders wanted to, to determine how their Messiah would appear and how he would perform and act according to their own pride and hardness of heart. In their minds, they likely believed a great conquering king would arise and break the power that the Romans had over them, restore Israel to its former glory, and usher it into a new golden age. 
It's so much easier for us, in a sense, to see more clearly because we are not faced with the absolute humility and humanity of Jesus. A lot of them might have seen him growing up. Some might have seen him getting tired after a long day of ministry and feeling hungry when he hadn't had much to eat. Jesus wasn't the picture of a Messiah that they had envisioned, and his teaching and approach to spiritual matters countered theirs because it resounded with authenticity. If we put John 6, Mark 8, and Matthew 16 together, there is this heartbreaking detail that I want to shine a light on. In each case, after Jesus had performed a miracle so supernatural that when we read it, we are in awe. People came to him and asked him to show them a sign as a test. It's like their audacity knows no limits. When I read things like this, and I think about the state of confusion in the world at the moment, and how we all have a great tendency to behave in this way toward God, I get a little peek into what grace really looks like. If you stop and think about it, We are tiny in comparison to the creator of the stars and galaxies, who at the sound of his voice spoke this world, and us for that matter, into existence. How on earth did he put up with people who kept undermining him and missing the point, and sometimes totally ignoring the absolutely incredible things that he was doing around them? That is some godlike patience. So Jesus did not give them a sign as they wanted because it wouldn't have been enough for them. Their hearts were so poisoned by their own pride and their own religion that they could not have accepted anything from Jesus. Instead, he says that only the sign of Jonah will be given to them. Now, maybe some of you won't understand this reference, so let's take a look at it. Jonah was an Old Testament prophet whom God told to go and preach a message of repentance to a city called Nineveh. He disobeyed and tried to run in the opposite direction of God's calling, so God put him on the right track again. Jonah spent three days in the belly of what the Bible calls a big fish, and that was before it took him to the destination God had in mind for him, and then was spat out. When Jonah reached the place that God had intended for him to be, there was in fact a city-wide repentance that all the people were a part of. The mission was a success, and Nineveh was saved from calamity because they humbled their hearts and sought after God. To be clear, in the situation we're looking at, Jesus is perfectly carrying out the will of the Father. And there is no need for him to be taken captive and put in the right direction. However, the three days that Jonah spent in the belly of the fish are a symbol of the three days that Jesus would spend in the tomb before it could contain him no longer. Just as Jonah was sent to preach repentance to a place where wickedness was rife, so Jesus had been sent to preach the same message. However, Jesus had been given the true power to change the hearts of men because it was by his sacrifice that we were made right with God. His resurrection meant the deal was done. Death was forever defeated. I love the words of a poem by an artist called Jason Petty, which go like this. Wrote a check with his life 
But at the resurrection, we all cheered because that meant the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man. Fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in him and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is. That you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone, you are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. Let's get back to the passage and look at Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 15. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. A little while ago, I did a study on leaven and its biblical symbolism. There are only a few meanings, but the major one, and the one that Jesus warns his disciples about in this passage, is the reality of religion. Have you ever had someone ask you, are you religious? What they're really saying is, are you one of those nutters who believe in the man in the sky? I'm sure some of my friends could attest to you. My answer is often, no, I'm not religious, but I believe in and love Jesus. What's the difference, they may ask? Oh man, that can lead to some very drawn out conversations which don't always end up being very fruitful, if I'm honest. The truth is, I don't actually think of it as a compliment to be called religious, because in its crudest form, I picture a bearded man wearing long robes with a little hat on his head and a frown on his face. That's the type of person who was in the crowd as Jesus stood before Pilate and screamed, crucify him. When we allow our our pride to creep in and leave it unchecked, this is the type of attitude we can develop. One where we become all about keeping the rules when there's actually no spiritual reality behind them. Sometimes it's not even that subtle. Maybe you decide that actually for someone to be a real professing born-again Christian, they must be out in the foreign mission field, outwardly displaying their acts for the kingdom, or you will question whether they really love God and are doing enough for the Lord. See, none of those actions is wrong. And there are many people out there doing great things for the gospel, which is fantastic. However, there are also a lot of others who are quiet ministers, who through small acts make a huge impact on the characters around them for the better. The point I'm trying to make is, let's each of us set our personal attention on Jesus. If he is filling our view, we don't see the other things going on around us that aren't our business anyway. The problem with religion is that you start to look around at other people and define yourself by them instead of defining yourself according to what the word says about you and what you should be and are through Christ. I once heard a little story which I found quite amusing, but which makes a good point for this topic. 
A pastor's son came over to him one morning and sheepishly asked if he could join his friends when they went out to see a movie that night. Being a responsible parent, the pastor asked his son what the movie was age-rated. His son replied, well, it's rated mature, but, you know, it's really a good film. There's only a little bit of nudity, violence, and profanity. <laughs> all in all, the moral of the story is really good. So the pastor then decided it wouldn't be the healthiest son, uh, thing for his son to go and see this film and denied his request. The son was disappointed and felt a bit like his dad didn't love him. You know how it is, all you parents out there. So a couple of weeks later, the pastor decided to get his son to bring his friends around to their home and enjoy some time running around playing together. They had a small plot of land and there was plenty of space for them. He baked some delicious brownies and brought them out for the people to eat. As they all ran over and got ready to take one, he said, now hold on for a minute. There's just one thing I want you to know before you eat these brownies. While baking them, I added just a teeny bit of dog poo to the mix. <laughs> it's not enough for you to even taste it, and you wouldn't even get sick. But it's just a few small bits that are mixed in there. I think you can guess that none of them was very eager to reach out and take one. Now, before you get worried, no, he hadn't actually done that, because it would have been a blatant waste of what's a perfectly good baked product. <laughs> but it's the subtle or not so subtle point of the story that I want to focus on. While you could use this to say that we need to be more cautious about what we allow to take in our, into our minds and hearts, let me approach it from a different angle. When we look at Jesus and what he did on the cross for our shame and iniquity, defeating death and the power it has over us in one fell swoop, where do we get off thinking that we can add to this finished work? This is the leaven that Jesus is teaching his disciples about, one of religion, one where we actually depart from the intended path that God has set out for us and go our own way. The truth is, we can't add anything at all to Jesus. It's like the analogy of the dog poo. Whatever extra we think we bring to the table is only going to defile an already perfect thing. This is not a reprimand, but rather a warning. Let's keep our focus on Jesus and the word of God. For anyone here who doesn't believe in Jesus, or maybe any sort of religion for that matter, I would ask that you don't dismiss what we're studying here today. There are a lot of people who may believe, you're so far gone, God wouldn't want anything to do with you anymore. I've got some good news for you today. God doesn't just want something to do with you. He wants to be a part of your life and have a relationship with you. This is why we as Christians speak so joyfully about Jesus, because he has made this relationship possible. If you don't believe me, take a look at the lives of the people who have made Jesus their Lord of their lives. I guarantee you will not just see a useful self-help program or something that has made someone into a better person. You will see a supernatural and unbelievable change in them. I'm not saying there aren't bumps along the way. All of us have this flesh that we contend with and a world bent on pulling us down along with it. 
So you may see some things that make you go, nope, they're back to how they were. However, it's the attitude of a person who has had an authentic encounter with Jesus that will go, listen, I apologize for that. That's not me anymore. There are also some people who don't see a need for God. We live in a well-governed country, and there is so much abundance here. And before some of the skeptics start muttering under their breath, actually, yes, it is true. We don't live in places where we are told that we can't believe a certain thing or behave a certain way and have the threat of losing our lives placed before us. We have electricity and running water for 99.99% of the year, with the odds slight cut under extreme circumstances. We have functional public transport, a benefits system, a national health service. All of these have their faults. But unless you try living in another place in the world where these things aren't available, like most of the rest of the world, I'm afraid you probably don't have a grasp of what the reality is like to have great need. Self-sufficiency and self-centeredness are some of the biggest separators that, Jesus, uh, that people have from a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you wouldn't realize it, but that is still a very Pharisaic and religious type of attitude. You substitute an outward-looking heart, which is what Jesus called each of us to have, for one that is inward-looking. And as long as you believe what is good and right in your own eyes, there isn't much need to consider anyone else. The Bible teaches us in Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Verse 18 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And then verses 22 to 24, the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We all need what Jesus has made available through his sacrifice. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. I'd encourage you to spend just a bit of time considering this. I'd like to invite the band up, please. And as we wrap up today, let's take a look at the last part of this passage. My focus is on verses 14 to 21 of Mark 8. The disciples had forgotten to pack some bread for their journey, and when Jesus cautions them about the religious attitude of the Pharisees by likening it to leaven, they misunderstand and instead start to discuss how they don't have enough bread. Jesus asks them why their hearts are hardened, their understanding clouded, and their memories short. They've only just witnessed Jesus multiplying the loaves and fish, and then gathering up an abundance of leftovers once the people had eaten their fill. As we read this, it's difficult not to think they were a bunch of simpletons. Unfortunately, the fact is, we're seeing ourselves when we read about this group of individuals. How often does a pressing need in life take our focus away from a recent provision by the Lord? Instead of thinking, yes, Jesus will supply my needs because he told me he would, we take the burden of care on our own shoulders. This is a reminder today. God can work in your situation when you commit and entrust it to him. There's something I think will be very helpful for each of us to meditate on this week and in the coming weeks alongside this passage from Mark. 
It's Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. So if you have your Bibles, please open up. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The baskets that were filled after the crowds had eaten their fill shows that how God gives an abundance. He will not let you down or abandon you in moments of need. What he asks for is our trust. Like children who simply believe that their parents will supply their every need. A childlike faith is a beautiful thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that you will supply all our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Since it is something that each of us often forgets, today we want to acknowledge it again and say thank you. Every one of us has a testament to your provision in our lives. There is always a need there, Lord. And so as we gather today in agreement about your goodness, I pray for breakthroughs in areas where your provision is required. We thank you in advance that your desire is to give to us in abundance so that we not only have our needs met, but are satisfied and go away full. Lord, we also recognize that there are times when we depart from a spiritual relationship with you and instead allow our own self-righteousness or even just our opinion to get in the way. Today, we recenter our focus on Jesus and his finished work, which is all we will ever need. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If anyone here has an area that they specifically need some prayer for, please come down to the front. We would love to pray over the situation personally. If there is anyone here who would like to know more about Jesus and what he's accomplished for each one of us, please also come forward. There are some great people who would love to talk to you about him and could personally attest to the miraculous change that being in a relationship with him has brought to their lives. We've got Dale, Kane. Phil is around somewhere. Band, don't go to them. They're going to play the music. I'm here too. <laughs> Please come down. Thank you.